We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's happening, folks? Welcome to an episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. And boy, what an honor do we have here. It is the one, the only, the Bahamian Bomber, the 6'9". How, many, how much do you weigh? 240. 204- really? Mm-hmm. You're in good shape. Hell yeah. 240-pound Michael Thompson um, with a fresh hip. That's right. And he is in my room in Boston. And are you comfortable with the, the towels over the seat that you usually would refuse to sit on right oh, now? Oh, yeah. No question about it. As long as they, uh, you can put towels or bathrobe over these uh, st- Nasty, stained, never washed chairs. I'm comfortable. <laughs> well, you know what I was excited about today, Michael? You sent us a picture in the group thread mm-hmm. of a new pillowcase that you have delivered. So let me just lay this out for people. If you don't know, Michael doesn't really love to touch things in hotel rooms. They're nasty. Okay. This includes remotes. If, if everybody treated things, germs like Michael did, we may have avoided a global pandemic. Exactly. Right. So Michael now has a pillowcase with it's. Is it the flag of the Bahamas? The flag of the Bahamas. And and you. So when you get in the room, you what do you you pull it out of your bag? Out of my suitcase. Okay. I, and so, I travel with it. And so, but is your suitcase more clean than a freshly cleaned pillow? Oh yeah, case? yeah. Because only my clothes are in the suitcase. Okay. And the my clothes when they get in the suitcase are all washed. Got it. And so you take that out and you put it over the pillow and then you sleep like a baby. Right. All right. Is there anything else, just cleanliness-wise, that we need to establish before we start the the basketball portion of this podcast? Well, you know, I wipe down the remote and the, t- the house phone in case I need to call room service. So those are wiped down with Perel. Yeah. And I sanitize. I sanitize the bathroom. I wipe everything down, all the surfaces down in the bathroom with Perel or Lysol or something like that. So yeah. cleaning some kind of cleaning fluid. So make sure all the germs. And I know these hotel rooms are clean, but the carpets are never shampooed. Um, I make sure I watch, I pull out every towel and make sure there are no stains on it. Cause sometimes there are stains on towels, Judell. Now, come on, you, even you wouldn't <laughs> like to pull out your bath towel and see stains on it. Come on now. Even you guys gotta make your skin crawl, make Man, your skin cringe. I've been traveling since 2008 with the mm-hmm. Lakers. You have been traveling since, well, you played three, for the Lakers. Four. And you of course played for the Lakers for yeah. several years and stayed in, I don't know, probably some of the same hotels yeah, now. Right. Okay. Oh, a lot of hotels. I never did this until probably started doing this about 15, 18 years ago. 
Then yeah. I started noticing, wait a minute, hotels are kind of nasty. I saw an episode on 2020 with Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs. Oh, man. You don't know who those are, but No, no, Barbara. Didn't she have Barbara Walters? Yeah, she's constantly recently yeah, passed away. She's a legend, but you yeah. don't know who Hugh Downs was. Your, your mother, Cindy, would know. Your dad, uh, Mike, uh, no, Dave Trudell would yeah. have known, of course, because they yeah. grew up watching those guys. Anyway, they did an episode on hotels and how nasty they are. Even six, seven-star hotels, be how they're never clean. There's, the comforter on the bed never touched those. So, so they did like a black light study, and they were just. Oh, it it was, clearly had a major impact on you. It just made you never want to leave home again. Okay, well, here you are. You've left home, but you've protected yourself. Yeah, and you are now. You have succumbed to my room. Here's the other thing that's a problem for you with my room. I typically like about a 67 degree room. Mm-hmm. You keep yours at. Yeah, you keep your room where you can store meat. I like to keep my room where you can put cigars, like a humidifier, like around 77 degrees, 78, 80 degrees, especially when we come to the West Coast or East Coast and it's freezing outside. Even when we're in Miami, I used to keep it around 78 because I'm from the tropics. So I grew up in warm, tropical weather where you are a Nordic. Yeah. You're Nordic. You have Viking blood in you. Yeah. So you like it cold. Well, you, you know, you are more comfortable at the Arctic Circle. I'm more comfortable at the equator. <laughs> when we, Well, somewhere in the middle, ideally. But when we were doing the radio show a few years ago for ESPN Radio, uh, you would come in my room most of the time, and you would succumb yourself to the cold temperatures just to avoid me bringing extra germs into your room. Is yeah, that correct? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't want you to come in and make fun of me with carpets, with my sheets all down, t- towels all on the floors, and the way... My room is like protected from germs. You would come in there and make fun of me and uh, take pictures and show everybody and everybody would laugh at me <laughs> and, mark, and mark me. But now they realize that I am, uh, I was way ahead of the game. Matter of fact, Steve Mason saw a survey the other day where they said talking about hotel rooms. And he said, you know, Michael, he had to admit that I'm right. When I put down sheets to protect my, my feet from walking on carpets, he said he read a uh, study where the carpets and hotel rooms are one of the dirtiest places in the hotels because well, it's never, they're never shampooed. Michael, I'm glad that you feel vindicated in your in the way that you do things. Yep, totally. So everybody, the world caught up with me. You're right. There'll be less flu and viruses flying around. There's one last thing that some podcast listeners are aware of because I posted that video. Remember when I took it at Crypto.com Arena of you packaging fish oh, yeah. uh, inside a, right. a box and taking yep. it home? Well, so Darius Soriano, one of the other co-hosts uh, who who is obviously not with us today. Why did not he a die? big? Did he die? No, he did not. <laughs> so he's made a sign. I did a kiss in the pause that I took. Yeah. He is no longer, no longer with us. No longer with no, us. No, no, no. Darius is Darius is very healthy. He is a, an excellent chef, mm-hmm. and he is um, is not somebody that believes in microwaving fish. Why? He believes that it. Well, I don't want to speak for him precisely, but I think you get the idea. You know, like it 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 kind of zaps some of the nutrients and the taste, and it creates a smell, right? That would go mm-hmm. through the house, stuff like that. But that is apparently not a problem for you. No, because uh, the microwaving, you know, you heat it up to where it's boiling hot again. And then the fish that I took home tonight was kind of dry. It wasn't as obviously as good as if Darius himself cooked it, but it was dry from the media room. But I spiced it up with a lot of lime juice, a little mix it up with some Tabasco sauce to give it a little bit more flavor, a little, okay. bit, more, uh, uh, more, little bit more liquidity to it. So it was all right. It was pretty good. Late at night, 11 o'clock, 1130 at night, man, you know, just you're so hungry to eat anything. I'm so fascinated by that, but you know, it, it just seemed like a lot of effort to go through, as opposed to just like you know having some fish at your house or having some having some delivery service bring you fish. But maybe that's not. I don't know. Maybe uh, the delivery yeah, delivery fish. Yeah, yeah nobody's going to deliver at midnight or at eleven thirty. So, and then I sometimes I don't feel like stopping at Taco Bell or Carl's Junior on the way home in the drive through because that sometimes takes 50, an extra fifteen minutes. So I just want to zip home and be home quicker. 
I understand that. You also offered me twenty dollars to take my spot yeah, in the elevator night. line last night. Would you have yeah. done it? Well, I I would have I would have felt badly taking your money in that oh, case. I would have just let it. you have my spot, but then everybody you would have had to go past fifteen of our coworkers, and then they would have been oh, so you're special. You know what I mean? I don't want to. I don't want to create that now, kind of tension in the traffic. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We were in that line, right? You saw everybody was waiting on that line for the elevator to go back up to our rooms after collecting our luggage. Yeah. I'm not going to say who it was, but tell me if this was bad etiquette. Nobody said anything about it, but one of the players' assistants had to had to go rush back upstairs after collecting the players' luggage, right? Uh-huh. And and said players' assistant pushed in front of everybody to the front of the line. And uh, nobody said anything. He said, excuse me, guys, but I got to get upstairs because said X, uh, player X has a dinner reservation he's got to get to. So he needs his clothes right away. What do you think? Should we have said, no, excuse me, but you got to wait like everybody else and have why player you, X you wait? Could, why don't you try? You're Michael Thompson. You shut down Kevin McHale in this very city. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't even if I was had the cachet to be able to do that, to push in front of people in lines, in any line, I wouldn't do that. I feel too guilty. But now, you like, wait, for example. But you would have taken my spot. For and, 20 bucks. And, so I'd buy it from you if somebody wanted to sell it. But would you have to pay everybody else that you were bypassing in the line? No, because then you would go, come back and take my spot in my line. See, you weren't going to be able to stay where you were. So, you so were going there, to search places. I see what you're saying. So the time for them would stay the same. Yeah, for, exactly. So I was just going to take your place for twenty bucks, and you'd go take my place. Yeah, five, okay. seven people back. No, that's, that's, that's fair. That's, that's, uh, no, it wasn't. I wasn't standing and pushing in front of them. No. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. So, All right, you know, I understand. Yes, I feel guilty because sometimes when I travel, I always travel first class, not because I'm just, I'm an not because I'm only an elitist, which I am, of course. <laughs> but I travel first class because of my legs to the tough room in the seat. If it's an hour flight, I'll go coach. But if it's over an hour, I got to go first class. And so you get to the airport. And there's a long line of people waiting to check in or whatever. But there's always a first class line that you can get right to the front and go right. in front of all those people. And <laughs> I, I feel kind of guilty doing well, that. You also have worked very hard in your life to uh, to be able to to pay for a first class ticket if need be. Mm-hmm. And by being a very successful NBA player and now the parent of a, shall we say, even more successful NBA player. Well, I don't like to think of it that way. I like to think I'm a parent of a Dodger. <laughs> <laughs> the other kid doesn't matter. <laughs> Shout out to Trace Thompson, Michael's favorite son, yeah. as, as we have been over. Now, with that said, Clay has added more rings to the Thompson Trophy collection, or the, the trophy cabin, or wherever you keep them all in. Yeah. But that means nothing to you? Well, no, because I think four NBA rings from Trace, I just want to see one. World Series ring for for Trace from the Dodgers. I think that'll make up oh, for. I thought it was coming last year. Yeah, I thought so too. Oh, oh I thought so too. 111 wins. I thought sure this is their year, but boy, I can't believe they, they choked against the Padres like that. Which they they did. They just choked. Choked. They, they had runners in scoring position. Couldn't bring them in. And if you don't do that in baseball, <laughs> that's called choking, my boy. So it wasn't like wow. they, it wasn't like they got up there and they were crushing the ball and they just got out hit by the Padres. No Padres. They uh, capitalized when they had runners in scoring position. The Dodgers didn't. To me, that's choking. Choking might be a little bit harsh, but I expose that by the letter yeah. of the law. That's what you do in sports. You okay. deliver where you choke. All right. Well, I'm looking There's forward. There's no to, middle ground. I'm looking forward to Trace starting in the outfield this year. Yeah, yeah. He's going to spring training as the starting center field for the Dodgers. So it's his job to keep. It's very exciting. Okay. Let me move to you. In the first time that you came here as part of the Lakers-Celtic rivalry, Michael, what year was it? What do you remember about that matchup? And this, of course, would be before you met in the finals, February, right? Yes, February 1987, Sunday afternoon in uh, the Great Western Forum, which is still a beautiful building to look at when you go when you go by it over there by SoFi Stadium. Um, I'm 
I'm glad they never demolished that once the Lakers left there because that is a L.A. historic landmark. So uh, that was my first game against the Celtics. Got a taste of the rivalry right away. First game. And uh, I had played, obviously, eight years in the league by then. But uh, I'd never played in such an intense game as going against Larry Bird and Mikhail Parrish, Dennis Johnson and that crew, Cedric Maxwell. Uh, I, I, I never faced that kind of intensity, in a, especially in a regular season game. And then in the playoffs, that intensity ratchets up on another infinity, on another infinity level because it's the Celtics. The, the, the best sports team sports rivalry in American history. People say, what about the Yankees and Red Sox? But that's regional. The best of the race, the race, and they never meet in the, to, to decide a championship anyway. The Celtics and Lakers always decide a championship, and it's bi-coastal. It's one style versus another style. Uh, the, the glamour boys, the pretty boys from L.A. versus the blue-collar boys from Boston. Yeah. The, the glamour city of L.A. versus the blue-collar city of Boston. So the, the, the slugging-out style of the Celtics, even though they can run, versus the showtime style of the Lakers. So it was the perfect type of uh, differences in a rival. rival. No doubt. So... Let's fast forward to the finals, 1987. Okay, so the Lakers end up winning 4-2 um, in game six. Game one is 128-113. Or sorry, 126-113. Um, Worthy goes for 33. And that's what I was, that's maybe was shooting maybe 10 threes yep. back in those days. Game two, blow out the Celtics, 141 to 122. And then you come to the got it right here yeah. in game three, and, and the Celtics managed to squeak by. 10, uh, let's see, 109 to 103. What do you remember about that first playoff game here um, in the Garden that in that 1987 season? Well, I mean, even though we came back 2-0, we didn't think the series was, was over. It was far from over. We knew we had to come. I think it was a 2-3-2 format back then. So we knew we had to come back here and uh, and at least win one game to try to have, have a really good chance to, um, to, to win the series because Boston was so good. Even though we had a 2-0 lead, we could have easily been going back to L.A. down 2-3. People always say down 3-2. I don't understand that. You're either up 3-2 or you're down 2-3, right? You're never down 3-2. You're down 2-3. <laughs> well, the, I suppose the, the word clarifies it for you, yeah, though. Right. But okay, Down 2-3 or down 3-2. So we knew we had to win at least one of those games here. And I think we uh, lost game three. Tough game. And we... Uh, you came back, though, and won by one in game four. Yep, 107 game to four. 107 I, to 106. Yeah, that's when I started feeling. I said, hey, we just might have this. Even though we still knew... Boston was going to lay down on those guys. And we knew we still had a lot of work to do. And it was going to be tough to win game five here in Boston because we knew that team had a lot of pride and they didn't want to lose a championship here on their floor. So I didn't get to watch these games like Laker fans at the time, right? And listening to Chick Hearn, but I've I've gone back and seen many of them on YouTube and stuff like that. What was it about the Kevin McHale matchup? And, and of course, we know you, your teammates at the University of Minnesota. Um, but... Why did you feel like you were able to have at least more success than most against one of the toughest covers well, in the league? I, I always felt, except for guarding, I would say, Kareem, I always felt they had an advantage playing against post players because I was quicker than they were. I had quicker feet, and I could make them feel uncomfortable. Some guys you couldn't do anything with. Like Moses Malone was just an octopus. You just couldn't do anything with him, man. He was just crazy. Too strong? Strong and, and uh, relentless. That's what he was. He was just relentless. Tireless. So was Akeem Olajuwon. It's nothing you can do with those guys. I didn't have to deal with Shaq, thank goodness, and see what it just broke me in half. There's nothing I could have done with him. But some guys had a good success against, like Mikhail, uh, Robert, Robert Parrish even. Artis Gilmore was tough because he was so strong. He would just hold you off and just methodically score on you inside because he was just a, a, just a rock. He couldn't move him. Kareem had that sky hook, so there was nothing to do. But some guys, I knew I could hold my own against him. Plus, plus, I knew Kevin from playing against him so many times in practice. 
hanging out with him in Minnesota. Great guy. Loved the guy, but I didn't really want to have anything to do with him once the game started because he was on the other team and he was capable of scoring 30 on me. So I knew I had to be at my best against him. So you get to game six and Boston manages, or sorry, game five, Boston manages to win to make you have to go back to Los Angeles, 123-108. No, we had one more. Yeah, we had to win game six in L.A. Yeah, yeah. So they had one more game in Boston. They take care of business in game five. You go home, though, and beat them, you know, convincingly, 106-93. What was that, like, what was the championship euphoria like, uh, especially given that it was against the Celtics and they had forced you to go back home? How did that play out? It was great. Obviously, that's the ultimate reason why you put a uniform on it's different back in those days than it is now and i wish we did it the way they do it now because back in those days you would win the championship everybody would storm the court but then you'd rush off the court to go back in the locker room and celebrate in the cramped locker room and as, as opposed to now they let you stay out on the court and celebrate in front of you especially if you're home in front of your home fans and with a big stage and everything out there so it's so much better now the way the Warriors and other teams have been able to celebrate being out on the court in front of their home fans celebrating as opposed to hiding out in the locker room just uh, in a more intimate setting with just players and staff. So it was kind of cool to be able to go rush back into the locker room. We had to sort of push our way through the crowd that stormed the court, wanted to come down there. And I wish we would have stayed out there and celebrated with the fans. Well, I suppose you would know because you have celebrated with Clay and yeah. uh, in, in the Warriors right, in exactly. that context, right? Yeah, we did it in uh, Cleveland uh, on the road. Where else did they celebrate? I know they won one. They, won, they celebrated two championships in Cleveland. With Kev KD in the first one, yep. they celebrated their third championship in in San Francisco or in Oakland with KD, and then they lost. Their last one was celebrated here in Boston, which uh, was kind of cool. I was exhausted that night. It was like I just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> I was so tired. I was so you know, you, you, you're just bored of just winning all these championships you know, with the Thompson that. family. It wasn't that. We won the championship here. The Warriors won the championship here. Then you sit. They, they do the trophy presentation in the garden. <laughs> then you wait in the back. Uh, with the families. Well, you're, you're on Pacific time. What's the problem? No, because at this time, you got to remember the game ended like around 12, 31 o'clock. I know, but for o'clock. you, that's like 9, 30 or 10. That's true. Uh, and we only been a couple of days, so we're still kind of on Pacific time. Yeah. Then, so we wait around. So so 1 o'clock rolls around, then one thirty because the guys are all doing their media, media, um, what are you going to do with the media? Um, the post-press conference? Yeah. yeah. When, you have to, when you have to talk to media, what do you call that? Presser? Press conference? Yeah, oh. yeah, but media... What availability? Availability okay. and, and, and responsibilities. Okay. Talking to everybody. Yeah. That takes forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they got the media from around the world. And then... Actually, you know, because I'm always... I'm the in the championships the Lakers have won, right? Well, I've been yeah. there, which is three of them. I've been part of that. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. there. It's not, it's not like uh, going fast right. because you're deliberately getting all the interviews. So I can imagine if you're just sitting there, so kind of like waiting, 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 right, waiting where's because, Clay? Yeah, where's Clay? I want to see Clay. Because then, <laughs> then what they do is they usually take the families in the back where they where each player poses with a trophy. But I never saw Clay, and I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. It's like, by this time, it's not 2.15 in the morning. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, man, it's, it's almost midnight L.A. time. Then they have a and – you, and you don't want to leave, though. Right, to you don't want to leave. Because, yeah. But it's not that – you can't leave because – from there, from Boston Garden, there was a nightclub that attaches right next to the arena. So Joe Lakeup and the Warriors, in case we won, had set up a huge victory party. So we got to go to that. So, you know, it's now it's 3 a.m. I mean, so, and, no, and it's loud, it's noisy. Was this with your new hip yet? Yeah. yeah. So, so you could get out there yeah. and dance then? No, I wasn't dancing. What? I was too tired. But it's 3 in the morning. And plus, I was drinking champagne. You know, I only had two glasses. Though. I wasn't drunk or anything. And uh, <laughs> well, hold on. You have you claim 
to have not been drunk since your recruiting visit to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah I'm only I'm in only, college. I've only been I've been sloppy drunk once. <laughs> I fell down some stairs, almost broke my neck, and I said I'll never do that again. And uh, you know, I, I might have had a couple of glasses of wine where I might feel a, felt a little uh, buzz. Just, but, yeah, just a couple. Yeah, just but a I, not to get behind the wheel of a car and be like no. in a room or something. And I can attest to this because I've spent a lot of meals with you, and, yeah. and you always keep it under control. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to drive under the influence. I, that's no, crazy. never. Of course not. Yeah, no. That's that's that could ruin your. Not That's your right. reputation, but someone's life. But anyway, right. so I heard this three in the morning, and Clay hasn't shown up yet. A lot of players haven't shown up. We're in this nightclub next door. The music's blaring at three in the morning. Everybody's dancing and having a good time. You know me. I just want to say congratulations, Clay. Grab, grab a bite to eat and head back to the hotel. Of course. Because at 11 o'clock, we got to get up and fly back to, to, to San Francisco. So how much sleep am I going to get? So <laughs> I think I let me and Julie and... Uh, Michael was there, of course, because he and then the your, your oldest son, Michael. Yeah, the good thing yeah. about that night was Trace at the time was in AAA playing for the Toledo Mudhands. And he just for Detroit's uh, AAA team, and he just happened to be in what was that city? Pretty close to here, the Boston Red Sox AAA affiliate. He was like 40 minutes away that night. Oh, nice. So he was able to drive up after his game and be and and, and celebrate with us that night. Uh, the championship. He didn't, he didn't make it to the game, but he made it to well, the championship. Would that be uh, Worcester? Worcester, yeah. Yeah, Worcester yeah. Red Sox. Okay. He was with them playing in a series the same time the, uh, the Warriors were here. So it turned out that he got to be there and celebrate with his brothers. Oh, that's great. That was really nice. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, let's get some thoughts from Michael on LeBron and Kareem uh, as LeBron gets closer and closer. And then just the state of this current Lakers squad. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Michael. So you have told me countless stories about the greatness of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you're always wanting to make sure when we have these these discussions about the greatest, and sometimes people just say Jordan and LeBron, and if they ever skip Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you are quick to jump in. Um, and so go ahead, just give us a, a couple of minutes on the greatness of Kareem, what it was like playing against him first, and then being his teammate, and sort of why what you think about as LeBron approaches that hallowed scoring mark. Well, Kareem to me is the greatest player ever. He's the greatest high school player ever. He's the greatest college player ever. There's no even discussion about that. And arguably the greatest NBA player ever. I mean, obviously, there's nothing wrong with saying that Jordan's in that class too, and even LeBron or even Wilt. That's it. That's the four guys. There's no more discussions after that. You don't put Russell into that mix? Some people would. 11 championships. He was the reason why they won those 11 championships. He was the arguably the greatest defensive player ever to play the game. 
He told me that he could have scored 25 points a game if he wanted to, but he didn't need to, he said. Quick, uh, quick tangent. Is it demeaning for somebody like me, who's you know 41, to say, well, there were only eight teams in the NBA mm-hmm. when Boston won most of those uh, titles? But, but Russell couldn't control that. All he could be was better than everybody else. So I don't, But I feel like it, it was harder – it's harder now to dominate than it was when there were that many fewer p- uh, players oh, yeah. playing. I just figure that. Suppose there were eight teams in the league now. Think how hard, how condensed the talent would be. How hard would it be to win a championship now with eight teams? Yeah, think about that. The talent was more well, condensed. The talent was not global. Teams. The talent was not global yet, Who though. Who cares? Europeans, nobody cares about the Europeans and African players because they weren't in the basketball like they are now. No, that's what I'm saying, though. So it's so, But you have the whole world now, and, and the dream team was a big part of this, but you've got four of the probably best five players in the league right now are international, you yeah. could argue. So, yeah. I, but but we don't need to get into that whole no. discussion. I just I'm I wanted to introduce Bill Russell, but then also kind of say that's where it's a little I don't harder care about for me. The foreign players because you put the best American. You're players. a foreign player. You're the first ever foreign player drafted in the, in the NBA. You're from the Bahamas, right. 1978, number great, one pick. There are great foreigners from all around the world. I understand that, but if you put the best of t- team Team USA together versus the best foreigners from wherever Team USA would crush them. So I don't want American players still still are the best overall. So I don't want to hear that. Crap. No, still, still the best overall. Yeah. But again, right. you as somebody who was literally the first mm-hmm. non-American player to yeah. be drafted number one overall, I thought you would be caping for the the international no, players. No, no, believe me, every, I, I'm glad all the foreigners are coming over, and the world is the the, the game has expanded globally the way it has. But yeah. it, it was tougher for Russell to dominate when, in his era because there were less teams, eight, twelve, fourteen teams. That meant the talent was more condensed. Fair enough, spread fair out. As it is now, you got some guys in this league who can't play a lick. They're good athletes, but they don't know how to play basketball. And if this team, and if there was twenty teams in this league, two hundred players wouldn't be playing in this league. That's, a, that's how you would skim out the uh, the talent. But uh, Russell, yeah, I'm, wait, I'll, I'll, I, I sidetracked you. Look, get back to Kareem. Yeah, Kareem was uh, to me the greatest because <laughs> he had a weapon that could not be stopped. A lot of people remember Kareem at your age bracket when he was thirty five and older. They remember the old Kareem, but you guys didn't see Kareem in his twenties. And how dominant he was on both ends of the floor. He could run like a gazelle. Yeah, he didn't shoot threes because threes wasn't part of the game. But he had every post move you could imagine. He could protect the paint. He could rebound. He could one of the greatest passes ever. So, yeah, he's the best player to me ever. And he, and he won everywhere he went. He won championships, delivered championships, carried teams on his back, just like Jordan did, just like LeBron does. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, and if you want to say other two other guys were the greatest ever, or even Wilt, you're not crazy for saying that or thinking that because they, yeah. they have a legitimate argument to, to be named the greatest ever. All right. So as LeBron gets closer, are there any things that, that stand out to you about kind of the, the way that Kareem scored? You mentioned the skyhook. Of course, mm-hmm. we know. But the way that LeBron scores, what did Kareem do aside for the people that didn't watch him? It, he didn't just get, get skyhooks. Like what made him so good and, and so able to score wherever he wanted to? Clutch. Like Pat Riley said, you needed two points. Just call, just put fist up. That's Kareem's play. And go into, go into Kareem. If you foul him, he was going to score from the line because he's shooting the high 70s from the line. So he was a good free throw shooter. It wasn't like a lot of big guys. You just follow him and don't have to worry about it. Plus, he had a good turnaround jumper. So if you took away the hook, you could counter it with a, a, with a move. It wasn't like he just had one move. He had a face-up mid-range shot that he hardly ever shot, but he could shoot it because it was touch. But he, and, it's, and, uh, and he had two other things that all the greats have, of course, was intelligence and uh, work ethic. The guy was always in shape. You never had to worry about Kareem not ever being in shape and not ready, ready to go. Took care of his took body. Care of his body. He was ahead of the game. He did yoga and stretching long before we even thought about doing that, even before that became a fad. First time that you had a guard Kareem, what was it like? 
nerve wracking because this is the guy I grew up idolizing, watching through UCLA's time, and I can't believe I'm on the same court with this great player. And it's it's a it's an epiphany that every young player has to go through. Probably coming to the league now when they see LeBron. Whoa, I'm on the court with LeBron and I'm going head up against him. You get wide eyed. You can't. You know, you want to believe in yourself, think you can compete with him. But it is, it is a humbling experience when you go going against an iconic player like that. So you're six nine, but Kareem, what would you say his actual height is? Seven two. So and he was usually listed at seven one seven two. Seven two. But so that's that's another thing where even if you're your size with big long arms, he can just see over the top. Right. Yeah. He couldn't, couldn't stop him. Wilt couldn't stop him. Wilt was yeah. a legit seven one seven feet, and Wilt was one of the great leapers and block shot blockers. But he Kareem scored it at Wilt uh, at Wilt against him even. So uh, there's nothing I can do. So all I had to do is hope that the double teams would come. Or once he got into that skyhook motion, of course, he didn't shoot 100%. Somehow he'd miss it. So you're now at a stage, Michael, where you're one of the very few that has been in the NBA this long, both as a player and, of course, now as a broadcaster. And you still, I think it's important to still see players in person, mm-hmm. you know, to gauge what the true level of greatness is. So what was your experience like kind of going as an analyst now from all those years of Kobe and now these years of LeBron? And just what's a little bit different from what you've seen as opposed to maybe what the general public has just seen watching them on, on TV and highlights. And well, stuff. when you see them in person, you just can't believe how great they are. To see Kobe, <clears throat> how great he was, and to see LeBron, a guy that size, with that kind of speed and agility and strength, all in one package. We've never seen a player like LeBron. He's unique. We've never seen a player like Shaq. You know, Wilt was close, but Shaq was uh, unique. We've never seen a player kind of like Giannis. That's a, kind of a freak, too, and mm-hmm. LeBron's the same way. And Steph in a different way, right? Yeah, Steph, the way he can shoot and yeah. pull up. But never seeing other guys kind of like resemble Steph a little bit and Trey Young and Damian Lillard with their shooting range and the crazy shots they attempt, just like Steph. But still, we've never seen a player like LeBron. I mean, we've had big guys, strong guys, Carl Malone, obviously. We've seen James Worthy, who could run the floor for 6'9". But for someone, LeBron's size to be able to handle the ball like a point guard, the speed of a wide receiver, the strength of a tight end going full speed in the open court and is he's a great he's the greatest open court player in history no doubt yeah i say that all the time that's a, to me that's not even really that close and and he does kind of that to me is where the scoring comes into this and how he's eventually going to pass kareem and yes he is a great passer that's always been a part of his game but i always thought it was a little silly um, i mean what he scored his first nba game and he scored 25. 25 you know he's he's never averaged less than around that mark and that's while doing everything else. So the the ability to finish, to get to the rim and finish at the rim to me remains kind of yeah. the greatest skill in basketball. Because if you really, when things get tight, Michael, and, and you know you would know this much better than me, but you're not going to just be able to, to jump, to, to set up for a wide open jump shot on the perimeter, especially in a playoff game. You're going to have to use some element of guile and force uh, and, and then touch to get into the paint and to really make either to make the defense collapse and then kick out for an open shot or to just finish yourself. And like, that's where I still wonder as LeBron gets, gets up now he's in year 20, but can he still do that at that most elite level that he has throughout his career, like over the course of four playoff series. And in so far, what we've seen this year is that he's still been able to do that. Lakers have just been banged up. AD was out. There's a bunch of injuries. So where are you at right now with LeBron and kind of how he's still able to do that at, in this season and what kind of help he needs around him for the Lakers? Yeah, that's the that's the amazing part about it. That just uh, just amazes us because at 38, he still has the ability to do this night in and night out. 
I mean, he could take nights off and nobody would ever blame him. Say, yeah, LeBron's load management. He said, that's fine. He's got 20 years in. He deserves the rest and play as least amount of games as he wants to to preserve his body. But he doesn't do that. It's all of a sudden, this year is like he's got that Kobe mentality, the Jordan mentality. I'm going to play every game. Seems like that's because he's had many opportunities back to back. Say, LeBron, is he going to play tonight? No, maybe not. But yet he's out there competing. Like, like he wants to play. Like he wants to put on a show. So for him to be able to do this at this level uh, just shows you, like I always say, all these young guys should pick his brain and say, LeBron, what are you doing to, to maintain your body where you can do this at 38 years of age, 20 years in? And from what he's shown, averaging 30 points a game, maybe he could do this for a couple of more years. Now, the thing is, now that AD is back, and now that they've got Ryu uh, Hachimura, who can also give him 15 points a game, now LeBron mm-hmm. can scale back a little bit because now he can depend on AD to carry the load a lot of nights, and that could preserve LeBron's uh, body here in the second half of the season where it keeps him fresh for the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good point. So I want to get you back to you know the 77-degree comforts of your own room in a second here. Anything else about this team, this season, Michael, that you want to get off your chest, any takes or, or thoughts that you want to give us? No, they just got to get healthy. They need Austin Reeves back and Lonnie Walker. Once they get those two guys back, they can stay healthy. That's for any team, obviously. But the Lakers can be blessed with good health. They can get to the finals. They can beat anybody. They'll be a tough out. With LeBron playing at this level, if Anthony Davis looks like he will get back to the level, the all-pro level he was playing at before his injury, those two guys put carry, decide we're going to carry this team on our back. This team can beat anybody once the playoffs start. Well, what a thrill it's been to have the greatest Laker of all time. Because as we discussed with Stu Lance, greatest Laker means the best winning percentage. Exactly. What else is the point of the game, Michael? Other than to win games. That's what uh, Herm Edwards said, the football coach of the New York, New York Jets. You play to win the game, and that's what I played, and that's what we did <laughs> when I played. And, and, and I led Magic in those guys. And look it up. Look mm-hmm. it up. Michael has the best winning percentage in the regular season of any Laker in history. Yeah, yeah it's based on the number of games played, but that's true. You have to play. Some guys might have been there for a week. Oh, but, no, yeah. You've got to hit the minimum about, qualifier. Yeah, I think yeah. you have the minimum qualifier. Yeah. 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 yeah, so Magic, Kareem, Kobe, all those guys. Jerry West, pale in comparison. So we like to, yeah, we like to sometimes give Stu a hard time by, I'll basically, I'll put that out there and insist, like, Stu, how could you argue that Michael isn't better than guys like Magic and Kareem when he's got the better winning percentage? Right. And Stu just looks at us with disgust exactly. uh, and shakes his yeah. head. He, you know, he probably looks at the same way as Tom Brady, too, you know, with seven <laughs> Super Bowl rings. It probably doesn't matter to, to Stu Lance either. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that's the great Michael Thompson. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, what are you going to do for the rest of the day until the game starts? Oh, uh, let's see. It's Saturday. Oh, I'm going to be watching some boxing, big boxing match. A light heavyweight championship fight today. Arthur Benabiel versus Anthony Yard over in England. All right. watching that. Enjoy that, Michael. Thanks for the time, right. sir. Turn up the heat. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. 
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.